Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Got up with Ali Haji. He's the CEO of TSXV listed Ion Energy. They are chasing lithium brine in Mongolia. Uh, they've raised some money since we spoke to them back in March. We talk about what the use of proceeds is going to be, drill program starting, looking for 21 holes uh, over the next seven to eight months, at the end of which they've got a big decision to make. Do they bring in a strategic partner? And if so, who? They've also got 11 million bucks worth of warrants over the next three years, which could come in, which uh, could be handy. Now, if you want to hear our thoughts and opinions on the conversation, the company itself, their plans, uh, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com. Ali, how are you doing, sir? Very well. Glad to be back. Yeah. I spoke to you in March. You've been busy, I noticed, but we'd uh, take the chance to speak to you, get a little update. Um, so how have you been? Where are you, first of all? Looks like you're in the office. In Toronto. Um, yeah. Obviously, we're in the midst of uh, a continuous lockdown. Ontario has been a bit slow to, to, to the ball game, As you can tell, my hair is uh, pretty pretty wild, <laughs> if you will. Looks good but, to me. To uh, a man like me, Ali, it looks great. I appreciate that. <laughs> so in Toronto, uh, at head office here, uh, ready to get uh, things going. Uh, we're, we're about to open up. Uh, vaccines are flowing and uh, work is starting on the ground. So a lot of exciting things to, to share with the group. Perfect. Okay. Well, like, why don't you kick off that one minute overview as usual and I'll pick it up from there. Of course. So Ion Energy, for those of you that are joining us for the first time, is uh, is focused on exploring the lithium solars in Mongolia. We currently hold about 110,000 hectares of highly prospective lithium brine licenses in the country. Uh, the largest land exploration license ever granted in country, Babayul, is our flagship. Uh, we have since commenced uh, exploration on those assets, and they are highly prospective with uh, grades in and around the uh, max grade of 811 ppm. So a really formidable sort of grade uh, to have in a vicinity that is extremely close to the largest market in the world. Yeah, look, um, we, we caught up, uh, I say, back in March. I think I'm going to refer people back to the link for that conversation. We talked about business plan, strategy, team history, etc. Um, so, you know, people, please look in the link below for that one. Today, I want to talk about a couple of press releases. You've raised some money. We have, we have. So the last time we spoke, uh, you know, we had uh, been off of the back of our RTO where we raised $2.7 million at 30 cents a unit. Uh, since then, we were sort of forced to, to, to re, uh, restruct, not, not restructure, but essentially um, uh, determine how we, we would best uh, fare through the pandemic, given uh, the locality that we operate in Mongolia was under lockdown. And so we used that time during a sort of bull run in the lithium market to, to look at potential uh, financing for our organization and the company. Uh, we announced a $3 million bought deal in March. Uh, we then had demand for about $10 million in eight hours, so really rapidly. And of course, as a company, you don't want to dilute uh, or over dilute your shareholders. And so we opted to take 5 million. We upsized to 5 million. We took in the over allotment option, as you do, as a result of having to pay lawyers and auditors in the junior mining space. Uh, but the focus uh, for that $5 million keeps us fully funded for uh, the next two years. We also have an upside to bring in an additional $11 million on the back of the warrants that have been issued over the course of the last two financings. So there is no financing overhang for the company. We're planning on doubling down on our exploration efforts. So we'll have twice as many people on the ground, uh, essentially uh, performing exploration uh, as we continue to, to progress. Okay, Ali, with, with this money, obviously, um, I, I like the fact that you've not taken everything that was on offer, but um, the, the warrants, tell me more about the, the timing on the warrants. So you need to remind me about that. 
They've had it for three years on the last uh, deal, so they were issued at 70 cents a piece. Uh, if you were to look at the Black Shoals model, they would have been in the money for quite some time. And we've now come to recover and are trading at about the unit price that we issued uh, the, the, the units at to, to begin with. So 70 cents over three years. We expect them to start to convert as we start to put out news flow. And that's obviously dependent on expiration, which we have uh, since commenced as of uh, last weekend. Okay, well, maybe we get on to that. I mean, so, so talk to me about this. You, you just started. What are you going to be doing? On the back of the exploration uh, that we've just commenced, we'd start to do about 21 holes across uh, our two licenses. Obviously, 110,000 hectares for junior miner is a significant land package. We have to be quite calculated with respect to where the drill goes down. And that calculative approach was, was determined by the microseismic program that we completed earlier this year, along with the geophysics. So we have our specific targets. And as of uh, two weeks ago, we put out a press release to market indicating where exactly we would put the drills down into the ground. And that's our focus for the next two years. Right. But it's, okay. What, what happens if the warrants you know, don't come good? What, 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 do you have to, what are the options there? So if the warrants were not to convert, we're not too uh, concerned about that fact. Uh, on the five points somewhat that we raised and were able to put into the coffers, the Treasury is quite healthy at this state. Uh, we have enough run rate for the next two years. We will not exceed that. Uh, the warrants converting would ultimately allow us to, you know, triple down or quadruple down on our efforts on the ground, but also look at additional acquisition targets in country. So we have no need for those warrants to convert, if you will, but we would be very happy if they were to. Right. And, and obviously, this is, the, this is the first drilling um, on lithium salars in, in Mongolia. Have you experienced any issues or any concerns? I mean... What's well, no, yes, right? you're absolutely right. This is first mover as far as uh, lithium solars are concerned. So it's the first time Mongolia has ever been drilled for lithium solars. Uh, thankfully, the uh, solar drilling sort of model is very similar to that of oil and gas. And Mongolia has a thriving oil and gas industry. Uh, and so the expertise is quite prominent in country and we're not uh, facing any issues per se. Right, because we've seen a lot of you know unrest, you know, various places around the world. We've had so many companies on here talking about issues with locals and um, their their concerns over you know damaging the environment etc we've seen a lot of that in Canada and South America so it's it's you're saying they're encouraged by what you're doing they are getting involved I mean how, how would you describe it it's sort of a combination of the two I think you know when you're moving away from fossil fuels uh, for anybody that's been out to Mongolia Ulaanbaatar is one of the most polluted uh, capital cities on the planet it sits within a bowl essentially that's a valley and, and because of their thermal coal power stations uh, the soot in the air during the winter time you can actually taste it uh, in your teeth you feel the grit in your teeth and so they see uh, I know it's, it's quite unpleasant but they are moving towards a greener, cleaner future, much like the rest of the world. And so they see, uh, along with us and, and, and our management team, uh, foray into cleaner, greener energy. And the way to provide that is through battery technology. Uh, and so it's quite supported. Uh, the government's been extremely supportive of everything we're doing in country for ION, as well as some of uh, the other initiatives that my chairman has had over the course of the last 12 years in country. Uh, and we've seen nothing but support on that end. From a local community perspective, you know, ESG is a is a bigger and bigger topic as we as we progress through through uh, the next decade or so, and we've found that um, uh, the local environment for us, you have to get approval not only from the federal government but from the provincial government and then the municipal government. And the municipalities are so supportive of what we're doing because as a group, we've always employed local Mongolians, trained them to be part of the team and therefore bring up the skilled labor sort of uh, segment uh, in country. 
And so they continue to approve our, our exploration efforts and not only approve, but also look to join us as an organization as we move forward. So and what are you making, sort of get oh, geopolitical on you here, but you know, we, we've seen comments from Biden, which are sort of pushing back on, on Chinese. We've seen before that we saw trade wars with, with Trump's you know, last few months in, in government. Um, how are you seeing this Canadian company with an asset in Mongolia tapping into the Chinese market, which is obviously not insignificant? Uh, they've, they've really embraced this sort of EV thematic. I mean, how do, how do you play that? What are the relationships that you've got and what are the relationships you need to build to actually you know, move this thing forward? Geopolitics is, is you know, a, a big factor in everything everyone does around the world. Uh, for us, we see ourselves as a Mongolian company listed on the Canadian Stock Exchange. Our staff on the ground are 100% Mongolian. We execute with Mongolian staff. We pay Mongolian taxes. We have an incorporation in country that manages all in-country relationships. And on the back of that, we continue to, to explore for lithium. And we recognize that, yes, China has some geopolitical issues with the Western world today. And the Biden administration has made it quite clear uh, in, in the last little while with respect to sanctions and the rest of that stuff. Uh, but we see ourselves as, as sort of um, servicing what we like to think of as a continental supply chain. Uh, we've seen over the course of the last three, four years that uh, you know North America with Thacker Pass um, in Nevada and a number of other projects that are deemed unconventional start to come online. In, uh, in Europe, uh, the European, European Battery Metals Alliance has now looked at Serbia and Portugal for hard rock assets because they want that continental supply chain. And in a very, very similar fashion, in the Asian market, China today imports the vast majority of their lithium from Australia and the Lithium Triangle. So not only are we servicing that local uh, sort of, sort of uh, supply chain, but in terms of uh, the overall impact on, on uh, um, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, for instance, having shipped those products from one end of the world to the other, I think we're servicing that continental uh, supply chain that will be required. Now, you know, China may look to, to do things a little more aggressively, but that's for them to decide. Uh, but ultimately, allowing them to get something from the from their nearest neighbor as opposed to from across the world, uh, I think, uh, hopefully, bodes well for, for the international geopolitical uh, environment. No, it, it makes sense. And that's why I'm inquiring. You know, we, we spoke previously about, you know, what it is that you've got there. And like I said, I will refer people back to the previous conversation because together of making a much more interesting um, sort of research document for them. Um, but you're going to have to almost pick a side, aren't you? Because you can't say, I'm going to supply into continental Europe or the US and be you know, that, that close to one of the largest consumers in, in the world. You know, how, how, does the, how would the West view you if, you if you were sort of talking to them about supplying into Europe? And how would the Chinese view you for doing that? I mean, this is what I mean. This, it, it's a real interesting mix geopolitically how you position yourselves because you can't be all so, things to all men. Of course, of course. I will tell you that the European Battery Metals Alliance uh, and you know primarily Germany charging or, or leading the way uh, in that regard has a fantastic relationship with the Mongolian uh, or, uh, country. And their government uh, works hand in hand with them to help uh, you know advance multiple projects. They've also shown interest as far as battery metals. The U.S. during the last administration sent their Secretary of State over to, to help uh, forge a, a trade deal for these battery metals. And so, you know, Mongolia sits in a very strategic location, given it's bordered by Russia and China. The Western world has an interest to ensure that those resources end up in, in sort of a, a usable manner or, or a, a friendly manner, if you will. 
but let's not forget that Korea, Japan, and Taiwan are all producing a number of batteries. Uh, beyond that, the Indian government is about 10 years behind the Chinese technology machine, if you will. So they're trying to play catch up. So China might be, at this point in time, the largest consumer of lithium on the planet. They might produce the vast majority of batteries that are uh, consumed today, and they might refine uh, the majority of lithium that's used in batteries worldwide. But the number of countries in that region are playing catch up and they're playing catch up pretty quickly. So it might not be the Chinese, uh, you know, sort of entities that we end up supplying to. It's a natural fit given our proximity. But Korea, Japan, Taiwan and India are all racing ahead, ready to, to, to consume additional lithium. OK, well, let's go back to the project. Th- thanks for that. I just I think it's it's interesting how companies need to think about these things really early on position themselves accordingly because you know one misstep etc um back on the project it's it's just over five million bucks right how much of that is actually going in the ground how much how much drilling are you going to be doing in dollar terms and major terms sure in total about 21 holes are being drilled anywhere between 20 and 70 meters in depth uh, across two licenses so the urgachnaran and the bavayol the early work that was conducted on those projects tells us that the aquifers are about 20 to 25 meters below surface. So not very deep relative to what you might find in the lithium triangle. Uh, this drilling will include a number of different uh, holes to allow us to determine the average grade of the brine that's uh, sitting beneath the surface. Once we have the average grade uh, of this brine as a result of doing the micro seismic that we've already completed, it's essentially a volume times average grade calculation that gives you an early resource indication. So this work will be done over the course of the summer. We've also deployed a diamond core rig uh, to Bavayol that will then move on to Urgachnaren, our second license. That gives us a sense of the stratigraphy. And it's important to understand that so we know exactly what those layers are beneath the surface. Uh, the drilling commenced as of last weekend. Uh, so we'll start to see results come uh, in due course. And the general uh, sort of time frame to, to get results from, from drill to, to assay to, to market is about three to six weeks. Wow. Okay. Explain that to me. How do you do it so quickly? So we do it quickly as a result of uh, the labs in country. Uh, ALS is is one lab provider that's in country. SRS is also there. Uh, we have uh, Khan Labs, which is an independent local lab as well. Uh, we're only about uh, four to six hours from the capital, which is where the labs are located. So we'll start to drill, uh, obtain our core samples for the stratigraphy and send them over to, to the labs in, in the capital. They will then process in about three to three weeks uh, thereafter. So they're not really backlogged as, as far as we know for now. <laughs> that may change <laughs> as we've seen in the global environment, uh, but we're, we're encouraged uh, with the early results that we've uh, been hearing about. Right, so, so what, what sort of grade are we aiming for here? What, what sort of range should we be looking at? You know, you look at uh, the lithium triangle, and if you were to speak with uh, some of the industry experts, including some that are on our, our, our advisory board, they will tell you that 250 ppm today in, in brine can be profitable. Um, and as a result of that, we've seen, you know, our lowest grade was about 411 ppm. Our max grade was 811 ppm. So we have uh, a max grade very close to surface that we're quite encouraged by. As we start to go deeper, we expect that grade to, to increase. Right. And then you've got things like impurities and you know, trying to understand exactly how what you can extract and you know what the economics are and that's that, I mean, that's a long way down down the path but so just again just sort of with the money that you've got available to you with 21 holes what are you hoping at the end of that to be able to say to the market we're hoping to say that we have an early resource indication for something that's quite significant given the endoheric basin that we operate in is about eighty-one thousand hectares uh, so when you look at the size of that basin 
relative to what you might find in the lithium triangle, you might have uh, you know a number of companies sharing that one basin, including Albemarle, SQM, uh, and some of the other smaller junior miners. In our case, we control that entire basin. So having control of that entire basin and understanding that the endoheric nature of that basin traverses the entire basin uh, as a whole, tells us that beneath that, we're bound to find something that might be uh, world scale, if you will. And this drilling will allow us to prove that. Right. So, it, it, okay, so that, that, is, that is a lot. It would require a lot of money. But to my point is I'm trying to understand the extent and reach or how do you show that scale? You mean, do you just do large step outs and just repeat what, what you found on the previous hole? I mean, is, is it as simple as that? Spot on, spot on. So we have two targets that we identified, LI-11 and LI-8, and that's where we're, we're focusing our drilling exercises. They're about 70 kilometers apart on Babayo. We start with 400 meters apart in a grid fashion. We then move it closer in to about 200 meters apart, thereby really getting to the depth in the center of that aquifer in terms of thickness. Uh, so it is quite a focused approach. It's being led and developed by Don Haynes, one of our technical advisors that sits on our board. Uh, he's worked on projects around the world and he helped develop and, and design our exploration program that is uh, currently underway. Okay, fine. And right, you're able to come back to market after the drill program is finished, do that. You're going to need to raise more capital again. Um, do you step it up? I mean, because you, you've got to work out where you fit in the market. And we talked about it last time in terms of timing the market, hitting the market right. And you know, we, we understand the, the demand side of the story. But likewise, you've got a few steps to go through. So you kind of know where you fit in. And you're going to have to bring strategic partners in and uh, offtakes and you know however you want to structure that thing. But... How, where, where do you go after the, these 21 holes get done in terms of capital? So after the drill program over the course of uh, the next, excuse me, eight months or so, uh, the intention is that we bring in a strategic uh, uh, investor. Uh, the strategic investor would be the likes of, uh, you know, it could be Tesla, it could be Ganfeng, it could be CATL, it could be Tianchi. Who's to say at this point? But, but it's I going think, to be too uh, early for those guys, isn't it? You, you're going to need to do a lot of work in terms of understanding the recoveries and, and so forth, the impurities yeah. and so forth. You're not going to have done that with this batch of money and this batch of drilling, are you? We will have. We will have indeed. And I'll tell you why. Uh, we've already determined what the impurities are today uh, on the back of the two holes that were drilled for us to go out and acquire this license. As we continue to do the assaying, we will get a better sense of the impurities of so the magnesium, the calcium, the sodium, and the uh, potassium ratios. We understand today that one of our holes has a uh, rather low uh, sort of impurity ratio to lithium. The other one is, is not so great, but it's still within uh, the means of the refiners around the world today. So this early resource indication that we would obtain on the back of this drilling would ultimately non-4311 compliant or non-JOR compliant say, this is how much lithium we have in the ground based on the drilling that we've done. Now, these strategic investors that are coming in at earlier stages of projects today because they want to ensure that they have that supply chain in the future are coming on board as strategic advisors or investors. And that's the only way we would take them on. And I say that uh, quite uh, prominently, and we would do that so that we would give up you know, 10% of our equity uh, in the company today at a higher valuation. But more importantly, it's not so much an injection of capital, because as I mentioned, as we start to produce results, we'll have access to about $11 million in warrants. But this injection of capital will be strategic in the sense that it provides us with the intellectual capital to better understand our projects, our initiatives, and thus the, the projection to taking them uh, to, to production. At which point we would provide that strategic with a rofer 
uh, for a full-on acquisition or, or a majority stake in the organization, uh, or ultimately have them come in with an additional strategic in the future uh, to, to help take these assets to production. Okay, you better get on with it then. Get, get some drilling Absolutely. done and come back and tell us all about it. Is that, sounds, Indeed, sounds I mean, simple. you know, if uh, if we weren't facing the pandemic, which uh, we are around the world today, we would have had this work done uh, in and around this time. But our shareholders that have been with us since the start are quite understanding of this. Uh, they know that as management and insiders, we hold 25% of the company as well. So our skin is in the game. We're waiting this out uh, purely like the rest of our shareholders. We're not too focused on what's happening in the market in terms of liquidity and share price because we know we're executing. We know we're doing what we said we'd do and we continue to be transparent with our shareholders. Okay, Ali, like, I'm great to catch up and uh, I know it was a quick one, but I just wanted to catch you before you went off on that drill program. Um, let us know how you get on, okay? Absolutely, thank you, Matt. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.